I hope you've been being blessed by our series on the book of Psalms, where King David is sharing the depths of his heart, his desire for God, his hunger for God, and how he was able to overcome so many different problems and crisis that he found himself in. We're going to continue our series today looking at Psalm chapter 5. If you're at a place where your Bible could be in front of you, I pray and hope that you would open up that. I want to put my finger in the Word and look deeply into it. I don't want to give you my ideas, my thoughts, my own uh, understanding of things. I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead me and that the Word of God itself would speak. Anything I would have to speak would just be of my own human understanding. But what the Holy Spirit has to speak through His Word is the Word, the very Word of God. And the very Word of God is what we need in this generation, in this hour. I'm going to pray and then we're going to be talking about Psalm chapter 5, speaking of watch what God will do. That's the title of my message here today, watch what God will do. Let's pray. Father, I not only invite your Holy Spirit's presence, Lord, I I just more simply become aware that you are here, that you're leading and you're guiding, that you're more interested in proclaiming your word than I could ever be, that you're more involved in the uh, bringing forth of your word than I could ever do. And Lord, you bring an accuracy uh, because it is your word and you spoke it and you know it and you know how to have it proclaimed into our hearts. And then I would add one more thing, Lord, I thank you that you know how to open up people's hearts and ears to the word that it might speak to them. Lord, in this topic of watching what God will do, there are many listening to my voice right now that are listening for the heart of God, that are saying, I'm in an hour, I'm in a situation, I'm in a crisis, I'm in a need, and I, and I need to be able to, to have that hope and that faith that I will stand and get to watch what God will do. I will I will give testimony that I saw what God is able to do, that I, that I know firsthand that there's nothing too difficult for the Lord. And I watched and I saw and I saw the victory. And we give thanks for that now. Bless this proclamation and bless the hearing in Jesus' name. Amen. Watch what God will do. Psalm chapter 5. Bear with me as I read the whole chapter because I really want us to dig into the Word. This is not just a topical teaching. This is an expository teaching on uh, every verse of the, of the book of Psalms. Uh, my prayer is that we'll uh, be able to do Psalm 1 through 42, which is the first uh, of the, what they call the five books of Psalms. There's split up into five books, and, and I hope over this next year to cover this first uh, book. <clears throat> psalm chapter 5, verse 1. To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groanings. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. That's where I get the title of my message, Watch What God Will Do and Watch. End of verse 3. Verse 4, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. And, and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But I, through your abundance, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter into your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in fear of you. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth, and their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them forever sing for joy 
and spread your protection over them. For those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. We see in chapter 5 here, King David, it says it's a psalm of David. And if you've been following this series, you'll know that in chapter 2, we saw some of the troubles that David was saying as the nations and heathens are raging against him. And then in chapter uh, 3, we see it's, it's even more difficult as it's, as it's coming down to, to a personal attack on him by his own family, by Absalom. Chapter 4, he's continuing in the same, uh, same impact on his life. He's still struggling over the difficulty that's going on in his nation and his exile because of the attempt to overthrow his government. And now we're here in Psalm chapter 5, and you would have hoped by now uh, the situation would be relieved, and this would be a psalm of rejoicing, a psalm of, of victory, a psalm of conquering over his enemies. He's been, he's been uh, writing these psalms uh, day after day and still yet in the same struggles. And I would imagine that he has to be getting heart-weary. There's a neediness in him. There's a seemingly a as you read these first few words, you see a helplessness that he feels to have. It's like a persistent pain due to an unyielding and persistent problem. Absalom is not going away. The, the armies are still encamped around about him. He's still surrounded. As, as a matter of fact, he's, he's praying all, all these prayers in the Psalms. He's singing all these songs of hope and trust in the Lord, but his circumstances don't seem to be changing. And, and if he were like me, I don't know if he is or not, but if he were like me, he'd have a problem of uncertainty about being heard. Is God hearing my prayer? Is he hearing my cry? Is he watching out for me? Is he, is, is he listening to, to me? Is he giving ear is what David is, is asking here. But David comes to him with, a, as, as we should as believers, an, an unashamed humility. He, he, he's direct. He's straightforward. He's, he's right to the point. He's, he, he, he's not uh, pr- proceeding first with, uh, in the, strange in this chapter, he doesn't start off with worship or with thanksgiving or he doesn't start off with remembering the, acts, the past works of God, which is something that we often are called to do and should do and we want to do. We want to start our prayers with uh, uh, not maybe just dri- driving right into direct intercession, but we want to take some time to worship and to give thanks and to remember the good deeds that he has done for us in the past. But David bypasses all that because of, he has this unashamed humility. He, he's just humbly coming before God. It's a God, I, 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 if you would excuse me here right now, just to bypass these other things and come right to this, to this hurt, this wound in my soul, this need that I have. Yeah. You know, and God doesn't despise that. God doesn't, he doesn't begrudge our asking him, our coming directly into his presence that the first words out of our mouth might be like King David, give, 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 I, I need, I'm in, I'm in a crisis mode. And Lord, the only thing that can come out of my heart is this cry, Lord, give ear to me, pay attention to me, give attention to me. This word is used in the first word of Psalm 5.1 and verse 2 as well, give, give ear to my words. Psalm 5.2, give attention to the sound of my cry. This, this, this idea of coming before God with intercession and say, God, give, is something that Jesus, even in the New Testament, taught his disciples. If you remember the Lord's Prayer in Luke, he, he says, give, he teaches his disciples, give us this day our daily bread. God desires that you call on him and ask him, Lord, give. My question to you this morning might be, what is it that he would desire for you, you would desire for him to give? Do you, do you have something burning in your heart? Lord, give this, open this door 
solve this problem, fix this crisis. I'm surrounded by these enemies. Lord, would you give me hope in the middle of this storm? So, so he doesn't mind following this pattern of just a direct ask of giving. And God doesn't want us, our cry, to be buried under a false humility. Yes, it can be a, an ashamed humility, but not a false humility. Have you ever used that in prayer before? Maybe you're just, you're not coming out like David with this really strong cry, give, give, give. You're coming out with something more meek, something more uh, tempered. Uh, this false humility would be things like, uh, I don't know if I deserve to ask you to give me something, Lord. Uh, uh, maybe I, I know I shouldn't be asking you so much, Lord. I, I'm always asking you for things. Maybe I should slow down on my request. Uh, or, or I know my distress is not as bad as others. You have other things occupying, bigger, bigger fish to fry, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be asking, but here it is. Would you anyway? I would also suggest to you that he, he not only comes without false humility, but he comes uh, without any doubt in his, in his heart. He's not saying here, I'm not sure you're going to hear me, God, but I'm going to try anyway. Or, uh, you know, I'm too much a sinner to be heard by you. No, he starts this psalm with an unashamed, direct, vibrant, passionate plea, give ear, give attention, give me uh, a hearing, Lord, that you might open up your power to resolve this thing that I'm going through. Now, I, I want to break this psalm down into uh, several sections, and the first one we're talking about here is, is to, the first, I'm going to start with all of the letter R. Hopefully this will help you remember what we're talking about today. And the first one is to recognize. Recognize the situation around you, the circumstances, the difficulties. Then recognize your weariness, the difficulties that you're having internally, the neediness, the helplessness. Then recognize that God wants you to cry out to him, that he even, as we talked about in, in Luke, he, he speaks to us about praying with the word give in the center of, of it all and come without any, um, any sense of hindering, being hindered in what God has for us. Uh, and recognize, I'd also suggest to you, recognize that what we're asking is, is, is not of a human resource. <laughs> we're not asking... Um, somebody else to come help us. We're not asking for, uh, if, we're, if uh, David as a national leader here, he's not asking for an army to be raised up. He's not asking for other nations to come and help him. He's taking his prayer directly to the heart of God. I want to invite you to do that. Take your, take your need and your weariness and your anxiety and your stress and bring it right to the heart of God. Bring it right to him who, who, who is the one who gives. He, he, he gives here. Look at this. It's he, he's recognizing not only his weariness, but he goes on in, in verse 2. He says, give attention to the sound of my cry. And, and all of a sudden there's this shift here. And it's a powerful shift. And I hope you'll pay attention to this and grasp this and begin to place this shift in your own heart and mind and life as well. My king and my God, for to you do I pray. I'm not praying to other resources. I'm not praying for help from, from uh, other nations, for from financial help, for medical help. I'm I'm coming right to you, God, because I know where I should be praying, where, where I should be asking, where, my, where those words give mean the most to me. And he's saying here, I'm praying to you because you're my king and you're my God. In other words, he's understanding the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, the all-powerfulness of God, the all-knowingness of God. God knows the need that he's in. He has the power to resolve it. And because he's sovereign, he's directing the steps, 
not only of the king, as the, the book of Proverbs says, that he directs the king's heart like a stream, uh, but he directs also the circumstances. He directs, even as we see in, in the book of Exodus, where he's directing the, the hardened heart of Pharaoh. That's the sovereign plan of God. God says, I'm going to harden his heart, and he's not going to let you go. And then I'm going to come back, and, and because of the plagues, then he will let you go. This is the sovereignty of God. This is him controlling situations and circumstances, the streams of men's hearts, for his own purposes, for his own inclination. And so when we pray, we're asking God to move things to the direction, not just of our heart, but of his heart. And if we're praying according to his will, as he said, give, in, in, in Luke, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And so it's this idea, again, of bringing forth the, re, the, the release of, of God's sovereign will Upon the earth, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will be done is what Jesus said. And so we see here this trusting in the sovereignty of God. God, I believe you have everything under control. God, I believe from the foundation of the earth, you laid the plans for my life. God, I believe nothing is out of order uh, or opposed to your plans or will for my life. There's nothing that Satan can do. There's nothing that the enemy can do. There's nothing any evil people can do. There's nothing any circumstances can do. There's nothing any health situation can do. There's nothing any financial situation can do that can thwart the plans that God has intended for my life, for my ministry, for my calling, for my family, for my future. And so we have this great hope in God. I believe there's far too many Christians today that have lost this sense of the sovereignty of God and growing up in a Pentecostal um, a community, which I'm so blessed that I have been to see the gifts released and to see the power of God. But one of the things I see happen often, uh, too often is that uh, we fear the sovereignty of God. We see that as, well, that's them over there that believe, that's the Reformed people that believe in the sovereignty of God. We're more free will. We, it's, it's more on us than it is on God. I don't see that from Genesis to Revelation, that it's more on us than it is on God. And if it is more on us than it's God, then I'm more worried than ever before. I'm more anxious than ever before. I'm more stressed than ever before. Uh, and, and I'm less trusting than ever before. If it's more on God, His sovereignty, trusting Him for His plan, uh, yes, I believe in free will, but I believe that free will is under the sovereign hand of God. He directs as He will, and then our will moves in the things with God, whether it be the will to harden our own hearts against God or our own will to to come and that God is moving upon us to direct the steps of those around so that he might have his will, his way take place. So we need to recognize that. David, David is going to be able to take joy here in the rest of the psalm and really the rest of his life because he understands this, God, you're sovereign and I can trust you. You're king, you're Lord over all things. So then he goes on to verse 3, and this is the second thing. The first one is recognize. Recognize our neediness, recognize the sovereignty. Number two is reset. And we find this in verse 3, reset. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. In the morning I watch, I wait. I'm looking for something you're going to do. This comes from a reset of his mind, his emotions, his soul, his heart, his, his thought patterns. In the morning I wake up and maybe I'm in pain. Maybe even all night long I've been in stress, tossing and turning, thinking of this situation, thinking about my marriage and how difficult it's been, thinking about the financial needs that I have that I don't have the resources to meet, thinking about the 
the prognosis that the doctor gave about my son who's, who's sick. The, your, your, your mind is just going wild in imagination of all the bad things that could happen. And that's not even to speak of the world issues that David was facing. He was facing national crisis. And we're facing that in America today. We're facing a crisis of leadership where, where immorality is, 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 is from the highest positions in our courts, in our government, in, our, in the White House. There, there is such immorality to where leaders are... are uh, propagating abortion on demand and having the government pay for it. We're seeing, seeing uh, uh, wickedness like never before where there's confusion in the courts and the family where they're, they're, they're mandating uh, certain things to be taught in the schools that are wicked and evil. And so we, we get those things and it can stress us and it can cause us to just worry about the conditions around us. And so there has to be this reset of our mind to come into that presence of the Lord to and so David's speaking here. In the morning, I wake up, and 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 I, and, I, and 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 Lord, I want you to hear my voice. I'm preparing a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of 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 trust, a sacrifice of understanding the sovereignty of God. I'm I'm resetting my mind. I'm taking my focus off all the problems and the stresses and the anxieties and the fears, and and I'm and I'm resetting my mind to begin to think on the things of God. I'm bringing this living sacrifice. The sacrifice of my heart to you, God. It's not my heart, it's yours. It's not my mind, it's yours. It's not my life, it's yours. It's not my all, it's yours. Everything that I have is yours. This is the living sacrifice. And so as we get to reset, now we're getting ready to watch. Watch what God will do. And this is so profound to us. We want to, as we reset our faith, it resets, excuse me, as we reset our, our, our mind in the mornings, then we find our, a reset of faith a reset of courage, a reset of hope. We're beginning to trust God. You, you may get discouraged. You may get frustrated. Uh, but every morning you can stop all of that and start the day fresh and find a, a reset. And then there's that watching that, that you'll see a, a great hope in what the Lord is doing. When, when we get to this place of watching what God will do, all of a sudden we trust what he's going to do in the future. We're we're watching for him. We, we see this throughout the Old Testament where various kings uh, had a word from a, a prophet coming to them and saying, don't fear, I'm with you, and this nation will run from you. They will be defeated. And so when they had that reset of mind, oh, now I have confidence. I have a word from the Lord. I have a confidence. Therefore, I can sit back and I can watch what God will do. King Asa said that when he was surrounded by his enemies, he said, we know not what to do, but our eyes are fixed on thee. In other words, he's watching for God to triumph over his enemies. He's watching for circumstances to change because and, and, he's already watched in the morning for his own reset, for his own heart to change. And now he's looking for God to bring change in the circumstance. God's going to do that in your life. He's not only going to change your heart as in a reset into a, an emotional change, but he's going to reset the conditions around you. He's going to bring forth changes that you need in your life. Healing will take place. Deliverances will take place. Freedom will take place. Miracles will take place. We, we serve the sovereign God of miracles, the, the God of whom we can say with confidence, nothing is too hard for the Lord. So we're watching for him, waiting for him to come. You'll see the, 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 the reset in this chapter is so important. And, and reset is not a one-time thing. It's not one morning, you know, I remember back in 1987, I reset and I've been great ever since. No, it's, it's a constant thing. And, and it's going to be hard to do because it moves so quickly. But if you were to read this whole chapter one more time, you would see this, 
dynamic shift taking place in David's heart and mind. He's, he's starting off, listen to me pray, and, and I trust your sovereignty, and I'm going to watch. Cause, and then all of a sudden, he starts thinking about the wickedness. But you don't delight in the wicked, and you hate the evildoers, and, and, and they boast before you, and, and, they're, and, they're, and they speak lies, and they're bloodthirsty, and they're deceitful men. You see, he moved away from, just a little bit here, from that place of, uh, I'm trusting you, I'm resting, I'm watching you. And now he's kind of watching again the, what the wicked men do. Then, then he kind of resets again in verse 8. Oh, lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Make, make your way straight before me. Uh, and then there's a shift again, verse 9. For there's no truth in their mouth, and their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. You see, he's, he's like a ping pong going back and forth. Trust, rest, peace, reset, watching what God will do. But, then, but, but, but they are pretty wicked, God, and they are doing these bad things, and they're still there, and they're still surrounding me. And, and, and I'm worried, but, but Lord, you're going to lead me, and I, I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to watch over you. But they don't have any truth, and they're liars. Have you ever done that before? I know I have, where you just con back and forth. And a lot of times this happens at night when we're trying to sleep, and we wake up in the middle of the night, we're worried about things. We, we pray, and we go, oh, I trust you, God. I, I, I'm believing you. But there's this back and forth. Well, a little bit later in this message, you're going to see the outcome and the resolve, uh, uh, how to escape this back and forth, because there is a way out. There is a way, and he's going to tell us about that. So we've seen here so far to recognize our own weariness and recognize that the sovereignty of God that gives us the power to watch what God is going to do. And then we reset our mind so that we can watch what God is going to do. And then we, 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 we reset that, that, that constant watch, staying in that place of, of reset, in that place of watch. And then thirdly, we're going to realize the demise. I love that phrase. It kind of rhymes a little bit. Realize the demise. Realize that our enemies are coming down. Realizing that all these things that are surrounding us are going to be destroyed. And we see this in verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. It's a strange phrase. Who, who, who does delight in wickedness? Well, you'd be surprised how much delight there is in wickedness. We see it in the media. We see it when you turn on sitcoms or late night talk shows. You see these, these um, people, these godless, uh, vile, wicked people, and, and they're delighting in their wickedness. They're delighting to, to denounce, denounce the things that are good. and They delight in um, speaking good over what is evil. And they're just uh, de depraved of mind, and they're, they're delighting it. They love to, to make fun of uh, things that are righteous. They love to put down people that are trying to do something good. They, 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 uh, and, but he goes on in verse 4, says, but evil may not dwell with you. I really like that. It's that that they, they, they have their moment, uh, but watch what God's going to do. They're not going to dwell uh, that place, the, the word dwell there speaks about being seated, like Psalm chapter 1, sit not in the seat of the unrighteous. There, don't sit there because this, it's not going to be there very long. It's going to be up and gone. Verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes, and you hate all evildoers. This is a, this is a profound uh, uh, teaching here where he says he, he hates all evil evildoers. This is... Um, Malachi chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says he hated Esau. The, uh, Romans one twenty nine speaks about the, the, the idea of him uh, coming against, uh, putting out, uh, discarding, so to speak, uh, the, those who have a depraved mind. Leviticus 20, 23, we don't have time to turn there, but it speaks about uh, God hating not only... Uh, the, the idea behind all these things is, is different than the phrase that we use in church today, uh, God uh, hates the sin but loves the sinner. Well, certainly God loves the world and sinners are part of the world and he loves, uh, the, he, he has a love for his heart's desire, the sovereign desire of God. 
uh, that, that man would repent and that none would perish. And so, so there's that love, but there's also this sense of, of, of hate. Uh, how, do, how do I know that? Verse 5, you hate all evildoers. It doesn't say here, you hate the evil that they're doing alone. You hate them. And so there's this simultaneously this thing in God where he can, can love the world and he can love the people of the world and he has this love in him, but he also hates the fact that they're living that way and he hates the, what they're doing in the world. And, uh, you know, it, it's, the idea behind this is this, this thing of if, if, uh, if you uh, have love in your heart, you're going to hate the things that are opposed to love. And I've said this before, but if you love children, you're going to hate abortion or child abuse. If you, if you love peace, you're going to hate war. And so there's this movement in God's heart, you see, because of his attribute being, uh, his attribute is not, I am a God of hate. His attribute is an attribute of love. I, God is love. And yet, because he is love, there has to be this sense of justice and God has a justice that's going to be outpoured upon the, the wicked and the evil. And he hates not only what they're doing, but he has a hatred. It's so clear in Scripture. We see it uh, time after time. I could list at least a dozen Scriptures for you here today that speaks about God having this thing. Uh, not only does he hate, verse, verse 6, it says, You destroy those who speak lies. Uh, the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. There's this sense of, of, of hating, of abhorring. That's even a stronger word. Uh, that, that those who are, are bloodthirsty, they're out for violence, they're out for causing pain, or even deceitful people, the, whether it be a politician or a, a, a neighbor or somebody even in a church that's deceitful, the Lord abhors that. Verse 7, uh, or excuse me, let's look at, uh, because he, he kind of moves back to speaking about the abundance of his love, but then in verse 9 he takes up this cause again of his, of, of his heart to see the sovereign God destroy his enemies. Verse 9, for there's no truth in their mouth, and their, their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Uh, because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. This is such strong language, and it's language that we probably don't um, uh, really hear much of today. We tend to be a softer culture and a more tolerant people, and we don't want to sort of speak uh, this clearly uh, about others. And, and it's not really in most places our, our role to do so. It is, uh, God is the God of vengeance, not us. It's not, it's not David here saying, I'm going to make them bear their own guilt or I'm going to uh, cause them to be cast out. But he's seeing what God will do. He's watching what God will do. Now, in our current circumstances, you might put these situations in a more personalized context. Uh, not necessarily a person he's going to cast out of your life, but a situation he might cast out of your life. Maybe he's going to cast fear out of your life. Maybe he's going to cast doubt out of your life. Maybe he's going to cast unbelief, anxiety, stress. Maybe he's going to cast out a, a lack of confidence that you don't rise up and do what God's called you to do. So it can be people, and it can be nations, and it can be circumstances, but also it can be certain things you're facing in your own life. So as we read these, we see the dual purpose of it. It's in some circumstances, it's actual things that are going to take place. In other circumstances, it's more personalized there we see. And so we're realizing the demise. We're seeing that God is, God is at work. He's not just leaving uh, these, these enemies surrounding us. He's not going to leave us to their devices. 
He's sovereign over them. He's Lord over them. He controls what they can or cannot do. He stops them uh, in their wicked plots. He, uh, matter of fact, uh, when, when we read here about the, uh, the, 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 what, they're, what they're going through, uh, we see that echoed in the seventh chapter of Psalm in verse 15 and 16. Uh, speaking of an evil person, he makes a pit, digging it out, and he falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. You dig a pit, they, our enemies dig a pit, but they fall in it. Watch what God will do. It looks like they're digging a pit for you, but they're the ones who are going to fall in it. It looks like they're coming to crush you, but they're the ones who are going to be crushed. God's going to raise you up. He's going to protect you. He's going to watch out for you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to make your way straight before the Lord. And so you can trust in that sovereignty of God and have confidence in the Lord because you realize his enemies are coming down. Your enemies are coming down. They're not going to stand. They're not going to have the final say. They're not the at the end of the day, going to say, we triumphed over you. You have to be patient. You have to wait. You have to endure. But your time is coming where be, these things will be brought to an end in your life. Lastly, after we realize the demise, is we rejoice in the refuge. We rejoice in the refuge. Verse 7 says, because of your love, I enter into your house. I enter in and I bow down. You remember we've read about our enemies. They, they, they can't dwell with the Lord. And so they... So now we're in the Lord's presence. We're dwelling in his house and we bow down there and it says the enemies can't dwell in that place so we're protected, we're, gui- we're guarded, we're, they're, they're shut off from us. They may still be out there ranting and raving and causing all kinds of chaos but we come into this house of the Lord, we come into the presence of the Lord and they can't enter into that place of peace, that place of joy, that reset place where we're in that place we're going to say from this, from this holy temple, this is where I'm going to sit, this is where I'm going to bow, this is where I'm going to watch what God will do in my life and among my enemies in the destruction of them. And it says, it's because of your love. It's because of your love. He, you, he loves you so much and he wants the best for your life. And he asks you to come into that place and it's kind of another reset almost. Come back to that temple again uh, and get reset in understanding my love for you. Verse 8, he says, lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Why? Because of my enemies. What's he saying here? My enemies can derail me. They can throw me off. They can get me doubting, get me discouraged, get me fearful, get me stressed, get me anxious. And so, Lord, lead me back into that place of righteousness where I I have a right trust in you. I have a right confidence in you. I have a right faith in you. My enemies won't be able to derail me from the things you have for me. This is rejoicing in what God has for us as being led in the straight way. It's not just being led in a particular way, but your way. Make your way straight before me, not my way. Here's maybe how I want to escape. Here's what I want to happen to my enemies. Here's how I want closure on this problem I'm facing in my life. But here David says, my confidence is in a sovereign God. Therefore, I'm going to trust your way will be made straight before me. And verse 11 is powerful. He says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Not just occasionally sing for joy, but let them ever sing for song, songs of joy. Lord, every day, every day, Give us this day. Remember we started this passage. He's crying out, give, give. Lord, I'm in need. And that's what Jesus taught us. Disciples pray, give us this day our daily bread. I love that. It's this day. Lord, I don't need it a month from now. I'm not asking for it a year from now. I'm asking you in the midst of the storms around me, in the midst of whether it be COVID or whether it be uh, the things that were happening, uh, the declension of our 
of our government and our nation, or whether it's happening of the lukewarmness and the compromise in the church, we're, we're saying, Lord, uh, give us this day, today, Lord, in the middle of all the storms around us, Lord, give me a peace, give me a confidence, give me a joy, give me a boldness to stand up against the things, the enemies that are coming into the land. And Lord, then I'm going to take refuge, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, I say, and again I say, rejoice. Always rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice when things are going well. Rejoice when things are troubled. Rejoice when you're happy. Rejoice when you're sad. Rejoice when you're encouraged. Rejoice when you're in despair. Rejoice when your enemies are fleeing. Rejoice when your enemies are attacking. Always rejoice in the Lord because He has provided for you a refuge. He has provided for you a place of protection. That's what he says later in the same verse. And spread your protection over us, or over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. Watch what God's going to do. He's going to spread this shield of protection, this force field of protection around you that you can't be touched. Only uh, nothing can happen to you unless God allows it, unless God ordains it in your life. The enemy can't break through God's plan for your life and destroy you. And so you have this protection of the sovereignty of God over you. And therefore, we can exalt in you. I exalt in you because I'm watching what you're doing in my life. I exalt in you because I see what you're doing in the church. You're raising up a godly nation, uh, God, excuse me, a godly generation. You're raising up godly pastors. Lord, in, a, in an hour where there's much compromise in America, you still have that 700 who haven't bowed their knee. There's still those preachers out there who are preaching truth without compromise, who haven't watered down the gospel, haven't appe- given appeased and, and uh, uh, people-pleasing uh, messages, Lord, they're standing for the truth in this hour, and that's a protection over the church. And Lord, even in our nation, God, you're going to raise up godly leaders. We're, we're asking you to give us godly leaders. We're asking you to change the circumstances around us. Uh, we're crying out to you. And God, you're going to put a protection all around us, and therefore we exalt you. We're watching what you can do, and we're exalting you. And the last verse then, as we're talking about this rejoicing in the refuge, he says, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. There's two powerful words in here, righteousness and favor. And oftentimes these words are misused, particularly the word favor in our generation is used more for uh, material goods, material items, prosperity, uh, name it, claim it type situations, getting the bigger house, the bigger car, the, the, the higher paying job, the, the advancements, the popularity, the fame, the fortune. That's, that's what we see as favor. But this is speaking of a, a righteousness in favor. And that only comes, you see, oftentimes we, we see a, a very clear demarcation between the Old Testament and the New, but not so with God. This, this is one book, this is one word, and we see in the Psalms, we see Jesus throughout the book of Psalms. David was a man after God's own heart, and he was also the forerunner, so to speak, of a, of a kingdom that would endure um, leading up to Jesus Christ himself. And so I believe uh, this passage, like many others, speaks of Jesus Christ. And particularly when I see this word, you bless the righteous. You see, David is not righteous in his own strength. He, he's done so many things. He's done things probably in some degree that is worse than Saul. And yet Saul was cast out of his kingship. David later on is brought back into his. Why? Because David trusted in a imputed righteousness, a righteousness of God on his part. I believe he was looking forward to what Christ would do. Even though he didn't fully understood it, he knew there was a day coming, a, a day that Isaiah would prophesy about, about this coming one, Isaiah 53, that, that he took our sin upon him, that, that he was a man of sorrows, that he 
bled for us and that by his stripes we are healed, we are made righteous in Christ Jesus. So he blesses us. Now, why is this so powerful? Because it almost sounds like it's just a nice benediction. He, he, he gave a great uh, psalm here and now he's just saying, may the Lord bless you with righteousness and cover you with favor like a shield. But this is much more profound than that. It's, it's speaking of the, God's righteousness being given to us as a great grace. And to us, now we understand, this is the most important thing that we can have. More than protection from our enemies. Because even if our enemies were to take our life, we're eternally with God in heaven if you're righteous because of the imputed work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. If, if, uh, if your enemies aren't destroyed, if your circumstances don't change, if the events of your life don't work out the way you want, you can still stand with joy and rejoicing in, 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 in rejoicing in this refuge you have of, the, of Christ making you a righteous man, a righteous woman, that, that you have God's favor. What is his favor? It's his blood shed for you. It's his cleansing. It's his sanctification. It's the washing of the water of the word. It's the renewing of a right mind. It's being reconciled to God. It's being justified by faith. It's, it's having peace with God. It's having hope in God. It's having a new eternity. It's having a new place in Christ Jesus. It's dwelling with him forever and ever. It's like David is that forerunner saying, oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And Lord, we're saying now even beyond the days of our life. This is a blade of grass. It's, it's temporal. It's short. It doesn't last. And this is not where our eyes are focused. This is not where our hope is focused. Our hope is, is basically, and more importantly, placed not on the temporal things of earth, earth, but they're placed in the things of heaven, the things of eternity. Our eyes are set on eternity. Our eyes are fixed on Him. Our eyes are looking to that blessed hope. Oh, these are things we don't talk about much in the church today, but they are necessary. And as more trials and tribulations come to America, we're going to be looking up and rejoicing for knowing our redemption draws nigh. This is part of the refuge, the part of the protection, part of the hope is trusting. And I thank God that He can make you and I righteous it's not a work of our own. It's not trusting in our own righteousness. It's not, God, you have to protect me now because I've been doing righteous things. It's, God, you've made me righteous. And because of that, a righteous mind and a righteous heart is doing righteous things. But I don't get any merit for that. I don't get any credit for that. That's all on you, God. You have done this thing. And so when I title this message, Watch What God Will Do, I am advocating for thanking him for watching how he defeats your enemies and destroys difficult circumstances and brings you into a place of safety and security. But watch what God will do is at its pinnacle when you're watching his salvation work in your life, when you're watching his redemption, when you're watching his reconciliation, when you're watching the sanctification process that's going on in your life. Oh, I watch that and that's where I take my refuge. That's where I most glory glorify God. That's where I'm being able to rejoice. That's where I'm able to exalt in the Lord more than any other place. And I want to invite you to join with me in finding that place, that reset, that place of trusting the refuge of the sovereign God so that you might be able to say here today, God, give me this day. Give me that place of understanding you've made me righteous in Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us is the refuge place for us. And I want you to, to move into that today, to reset your mind in that today so that nothing can hinder you, nothing can harm you, nothing can come against you. Come what may, you stand firm because you have that favor of God, you're standing in the righteousness of God, and you have eternal peace, eternal security, eternal love, eternal life, and nothing can take that away from you at all. Bless the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus 
that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart might not only be pleasing in your sight, but God, it would be productive in the ears of those that are hearing. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters and friends who are listening, that Holy Spirit, you would touch them and impact this message into them. Lord, in the weakness of, uh, of, of humanity, the frailness of, of humanity, the, the, the way we speak, the, the lack of, of profound ability to communicate the very deep things of God, but we thank you that the Holy Spirit does that. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, now to take these, these mere words of man and, Lord, empower them to be words of God, words from your scripture that go and now penetrate into hearts. And, Lord, that penetration into hearts would be the type of thing that would reset the mind now and be able to say, Lord, no matter what comes against me, Lord, I believe that you do change circumstances and I, I do believe you heal and that you bring hope and bring life from our difficulties. But, Lord, what I'm really trusting is that the sovereignty of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross has cleansed me from all unrighteousness and has exchanged, you've exchanged, you've taken out my filthy rags of a heart and you've replaced it now with a righteous heart, the heart of Christ in me. And then Lord, you you took that out and you took that and you buried that, you nailed that to the cross. And Lord, there's that great exchange now. And because of that, we are the redeemed. We give thanks, Lord, we can exalt in you. We exalt you now. And Lord, even in the midst of our storms, as we read Psalms, Psalm 5, we know that we, we still yet don't see Absalom uh, abdicating the throne and David brought back into Jerusalem. Uh, but Lord, there's this reset in his heart and he's understanding that he has this righteousness of God and he has favor of God and the protection of God. And therefore he can rejoice, he can sing. And Lord, give us a song today. Put a new song in our heart. Let us, let us go out with joy. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Join us next week as we continue on into Psalm chapter 6.